Good morning. Some great singing. I'm sure God's pleased. And uh, it's just been a, a worshipful time, a, a good time together and, and, and before God to express our love and our gratitude to Him for all of His blessings. And uh, once again, we welcome you if you're visiting with us. And if you didn't get a chance to fill out that uh, card, let's get acquainted card, make sure you do that. And on the way out, you can give it to me or, or leave it there on one of those back tables. Um, as children grow up, they ask zillions of questions. I don't know if that's a word or not, zillion. I don't know how many a zillion is, but that's a lot. They ask all kinds of questions. And, and, and a lot of them are funny and a lot of them are interesting. Um, I heard about one little girl that asked her daddy, Daddy, why is the sky blue? And he said, well, you know, I don't know. And so a little while later she said, Daddy, why is the earth round? And he thought, and he, well, I don't know. And, and then she asked him a little later on, Daddy, why do chickens only have two legs? And he thought, and he goes, well, I don't know. And she said, Daddy, am I bothering you with all these questions? He said, no, how else are you going to learn if you don't ask questions, you know? So we have a lot more questions sometimes than we have answers to. Uh, but the greatest question that's ever been posed is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And if you study the New Testament, you'll see that all throughout Jesus' ministry, he's revealing little by little who he is. And he's showing through his miracles. He performs miracles to prove that he's God in the flesh and that he's Lord over death and life, and that he's Lord over nature and, and our well-being. And, and the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come, but they didn't understand the nature of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And so they're always asking, and it's hard to understand that, you know, how could this be the Christ? How could this be God in the flesh? He was born here among us and raised among us, and we know who his uh, brothers and sisters are, and just... It's always asking, who is Jesus? And it's a question we have to ask for ourselves. Who is Jesus to us? Now, the Bible has several names and lots of titles uh, uh, of who Jesus is, but I want to ask you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read verses 13 through 17. And Jesus himself asked this question, who do people say I am? And uh, we're going to see the interesting response from the disciples and then Peter's uh, response to the, to the question. Matthew chapter 16, I might have said 17, but Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the expression Son of Man, we'll even talk about that here in just a few minutes, but it comes from Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, and it, it, it was an expression referring to the Messiah that would come, but it was also had double meaning that means uh, that person who is of the same nature as man. And so some of the prophets and other men of God, were, people were called the son of man. But, but it's kind of a, a, 
a double uh, meaning. So that's the expression that Jesus refers about himself more than any other expression. He calls himself the son of man. And that way he doesn't get in trouble with the Pharisees, but he's, he's open and true about who he is. So Jesus asks, who do the people say that the son of man is? In verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So people realize that Jesus just isn't any common, ordinary rabbi. He's special. He's, he's, they're thinking, well, maybe he's been one of these prophets that's been reincarnated to come back. We don't know. He's obviously not just a normal person. But then in verse 15, he said to them, Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So that's the first time that we have this confession uh, made publicly, openly, that Jesus, yes, he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they've been waiting for. And when they say the son of God, When they say the son of God, the, the term son of, just as the son of man means in the same nature of, uh, son of God doesn't mean a biological junior, you know, an offspring, but it means the same nature as God. So the son of God is, has the same nature as God. And so Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, P Jesus blesses Peter, or Peter and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, means Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so uh, the reason Peter knows this is because God's revealed it to him. And then later on in this chapter, after Jesus has openly blessed Peter because of his recognition of who Jesus is, but he tells them not to tell anybody yet. It wasn't time because the Jewish people had the idea that when the Messiah came, he was going to, to raise up the armies and fight against the Romans and kick them out of Palestine. And so that's not Jesus' intention. He didn't come to set up uh, an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. We'll see that here in a few minutes. But first, what are some other names and titles of Jesus in the Bible? Emmanuel comes from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and that means God with us. His name was also Jesus, which was a common name back then. It was a, a derivative of Joshua, Savior. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there are about seven different people in the, in the Bible with the name of Jesus. Uh, but this is Jesus the Christ. And the Christ isn't his last name. It's, uh, it's his title. We don't know exactly Jesus' full name. People typically didn't have last names. You know, today we have last names. In Brazil, where I lived and worked for 32 years, you would know somebody for all of your life but wouldn't have, have no clue what their last name is. Uh, my daughter-in-law's name is Ana Claudia Cesar made the Gates. But they would say, that's Lucas's Anna. It, she's known by the wife of Lucas. And uh, most people would have no clue, or my son-in-law, Douglas Costa de Andrade Ribeiro. You know, it's just, you just don't know people's last names. But, and so Jesus' name probably if I put it together, it would be Jesus Emmanuel Bar Joseph. Bar meaning son of Joseph. Uh, not necessarily a last name, but a title. So Jesus, we know he's given the name Jesus and Emmanuel, which means God with us. Another name uh, 
that he's some 534 times in the New Testament Christ. And, and that, like I say, that's not a name, but that's a title, the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. Uh, he's called Lord, which uh, is a term meaning someone that has complete dominance over another person or others. Master, the word, this comes from John chapter 1. And it doesn't mean that Jesus is the Bible, you know, because we talk about the Word when we need to be in the Word. Well, that's true. But the word, word here in John chapter 1 in Greek is logos, L-O-G-O-S, or logos. And what that means is the power, the force behind everything, that which created and is a reason for our existence. And so when when John writes that Jesus was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, he's talking about Jesus and calling him the Logos, or the Word. Son of God, I mentioned that doesn't mean junior, but it means the same nature as. Um, son of man, as I mentioned, comes from Daniel chapter 7. It's used all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but specifically refers in this uh, verse to Jesus as uh, being God and being worshipped and being with the Ancient of Days, who is the Father in heaven. Uh, John uh, the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God because he was sacrificed uh, for our sins. Uh, John also wrote in Revelation, called Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, he's called the King of the Jews, the Bread of Life, the Redeemer, the Light of the World, the living stone, wonderful counselor. And this comes from our, we had our Bible reading Seth read to us earlier from Isaiah chapter 9. And he's called a wonderful counselor. He's called mighty God. It's openly and plainly calling Jesus God. Uh, everlasting Father, equating him with the Father. Now that's, the Trinity is a hard uh, principle for us to understand because our mind is finite. There are a lot of things we don't understand well. Uh, eternity, something that never had a beginning or it doesn't have an end. It, they're just things that don't fit in our mind very well. And the Trinity is very difficult for us to understand. How can they be three, but it's one? They're, it's one God, but the three personalities in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but, and, and we won't get into that now, but, but Jesus is, when, when you see the close, uh, the interchanging of descriptions in Bible, in Bible verses, the Father and the Son are one, or the Son and the Spirit are one, or the Spirit and the Father are one. Uh, so Jesus is called Everlasting Father, and also Prince of Peace, Prince of Peace. And there's many, many others that we could talk about this morning, but I, I, wanted to, I want to focus here on this last description of Jesus, called the Prince of Peace. And you might ask yourself, well, how can Jesus be the Prince of Peace when there are so many wars going on in the world? And uh, just to, to mention a few of the American wars that we've been involved in as a nation, not talking about all the wars, uh, probably hundreds of wars in history before America was founded, but uh, major American, the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, uh, when Great Britain burnt down our White House, trying to get us back. Uh, the Mexican-American War, when they wouldn't accept our, our possession of the Texas. The American Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, uh, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam War, 
the desert shield, desert storm, uh, and global warm on terror, not to mention the Cold War that we experienced. And so uh, there are lots and lots of wars. And, and today, if, if you're even remotely alive, you've noticed on the news about uh, the Israelis that were massacred by some of the Hamas people, and then uh, now the Israelis are attacking Hamas, and the world is all up in turmoil over this. And uh, the Bible says to pray for peace in Jerusalem, and we should be praying for peace. Uh, but we need to pray for peace here in our own country as well, because even though we're not at war, which we might be, I mean, we can't trust our government to be God for us. Only God can protect us. Only God can save us. And, and this could get out of hand so easily because human beings are sinners. We're full of pride and anger and, and not a whole lot of logic. And so uh, there's just so much evil has been going on in the world. Uh, according to the Department of Veteran Affairs, over one million Americans have uh, experienced de uh, wartime deaths. And that's since it's just a tremendous amount. Of, uh, of deaths, but other things that cause us, to rob us of our peace. Um, I don't know if you've ever flown on an airplane before. Some of you haven't. I've talked to some of you, <laughs> but it's kind of nerve-wracking. I've been flying for over five decades, and I still don't like it. <laughs> And now it's even worse because you have to go through all the security and take your shoes off and your belt off and your pants don't want to stay up and then they frisk you and it just robs you of your peace. And people are stressed out and for little things, you know, it used to be when you traveled, I, the first time I went to Brazil, I wore a suit and tie as an exchange student. That was just normal back in those days. People traveled in suits and ties. Now, you know, it's like they're hardly dressed at all and just... <laughs> Looks like they haven't taken a bath in a while, so it's pretty stressful, okay? Uh, but other things much worse than that uh, are if you're having health issues, you know, that can be one of the things that most rob your peace. Uh, I know Bob Miller's struggling a lot, Phil's struggling a lot, and a lot of you are struggling with health issues. Uh, last couple weeks I've had a problem with my left foot, and so it just, you know, but but we've got some serious health issues. People diagnosed with cancer and other diseases, or some are struggling with health and the doctors can't find out what's wrong. And so that can rob us of our peace. Uh, maybe it's your work. Maybe, you know, you've got a, a nasty boss and he's just grumpy and ignorant and makes, he enjoys making things difficult for you. And so things like that can, can really rob you of your peace. Or, or a horrible thing is, is, is divorce. You know, if somebody goes through divorce, it's just, you know, it's not a solution. <laughs> Maybe even making the situation even worse. But it's, Becky and I are, are, are working with this couple. They're not from church, but they're, they're just in the, the middle of this separation, and it's just nasty on every side, and nobody wants to fix anything, and it's just, it's horrible. And, uh, or, or maybe worse yet, you know, you were, you've lost a spouse. You know, you've been married almost 50 years and your spouse passes away, oh, or more than 50 years or less. And we've got some newlyweds here. And can you imagine just losing your spouse just like that? And, uh, and it happens. Or, or some people 
another thing that takes our peace away is our children. You know, uh, we want our children to grow up and be responsible citizens and respectful and, and good Christians, but that doesn't always work out. And sometimes our, our peace is just stolen because, you know, our children are just rebellious and not doing what they should be doing. And it's, uh, we, we all want the best for our children, but it doesn't always happen. And so all these things and a lot more can rob us of our peace. So how can Jesus be the Prince of Peace if there are so many things that can rob us of our peace? Well, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus wants to, to bless our lives with peace. He realizes we have all these difficulties. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So Jesus offers us peace that's different from the world. The peace that he offers us doesn't depend if there's war or not, or we have a good job or not, or if our health is going well or not. He gives us a peace that, that, that the Bible says that passes our capacity to understand. In Luke chapter 17, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So, in other words, we can have peace within us in the midst of a world in total turmoil. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So he says, in me you can have peace, even though there's turmoil in the world. And in Ephesians chapter three, uh, 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if all these blessings, if the peace that we all desire is only found in Christ, how do I get into Christ? What do I need to do? I, I want that peace. I want that for my life. I want that for my family. And if it's only found in Christ, then how do we get into Christ? Well, first and foremost, you must be a follower of Jesus. You must be, in other words, a Christian. Uh, a lot of people are very open or very favorable to, to religious things or to the Bible. They're not against church or God or anything, but they're just not committed. They haven't really sat down and, 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 and discovered what God wants for their life and obeyed that. I want to share with you several ways that, that the, the ways that we become Christians. First of all, you have to hear and obey God's word. And I say hear because there is so much religious confusion. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a thought. Everybody has a philosophy. Everybody wants to be a theologian. But in the end, it's only what the Bible says that really matters. It's not what I like, not what I think, what I feel, but it's what does God's word say. And that's what we need to obey in order to become a Christian. And another per, uh, important reason why we need to hear uh, uh, this word, read and study it, because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, that our faith is grown through this word, through hearing God's word, through studying, through, through meditating on God's word. So we need to hear it and obey it, 
not only to be right with God, but in order for our faith to grow to the point where we'll want to make that decision to become a Christian. A second thing is that you need to put your faith in Him and His promises, okay? So we hear the Word, we need to believe it, okay? We, we trust God that uh, Jesus is who He said He is, and we trust His promises, and that He'll keep, keep everything that he, that he says He will for us. So that's called faith. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that it's impossible to please God without faith. And faith isn't like, well, I've got it all figured out, or I understand everything. No, it's I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust Him him and who he says he is and his promises for my life and then number three you need to because of your faith you need to change your heart in the direction of your life and just surrender to jesus as lord of your life and that's called repentance that's realizing that i'm not on the right path i need to stop doing what i've been doing that hasn't been pleasing to god i need to make a commitment to jesus let him be the lord of my life and 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 set a different direction that's that's repentance that's a change of of heart and attitude and of lifestyle and number four if you've made that decision that you 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 believe in jesus as a son of god and and you're going to change then you need to confess your faith and commitment to the lord it's a it's a it's a public confession matthew chapter 10 verse 32 jesus said whoever confesses me before men i will also confess before my father's in heaven and so uh there's a public confession uh, involved when we, when we come to, to Christ. And then to seal it off uh, is your wedding ceremony to Jesus. So in faith, you're united with Jesus by being baptized into him. Now, obviously there, there are uh, other religious uh, groups that say, no, baptism isn't necessary for salvation because that's a work and we're not saved by works. What's well, true we're not saved by works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, we're saved by grace through faith. But baptism isn't a work. It's an expression of faith. And the Bible teaches that, that, that that's the moment that our sins are forgiven. That's the moment that we we're come into Jesus. We, we clothe Christ. And that's the moment that God gives us His Holy Spirit to, to help us in our Christian walk, to seal us as, as His child. That's the moment that we become part of God's family. So baptism isn't anything miraculous but god works in us and he he unites us with jesus and we become united with him at that moment and so it's not the water but it's that faith response obeying god being baptized into jesus and that's why it's important uh if you haven't been baptized into christ and 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 you want to follow jesus but uh we can help you do that we're going to stand and sing a song here in a few minutes and you can come forward and say hey I've not been baptized into Jesus and I want to make that commitment. Or maybe you have and, and you want to repent of that. Uh, after you become a Christian, you need to walk daily in the light of the Lord. It doesn't help to become a Christian and then just sit down. It's like uh, Ali and Lucas got married here a, a little over a week ago. But that's just the beginning. They've got a, a lifetime together and they're going to work on their relationship and grow in their love for each other and for God. And so baptism isn't the end of your Christian journey. It's the beginning. And so you need to walk daily in the light of God because the Bible says that every one of us are sinners. We're going to fall short of the glory of God. And if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's no such thing as an isolated Christian. I'll do my thing wherever. We have fellowship with one with another and the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. So... Uh, 
I want to ask you, don't you want the peace that the Prince of Peace offers you? Don't you want that? Well, Paul said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and, uh, plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse sometimes taken out of context. But Paul says, look, my circumstances don't, de don't determine whether or not I can have peace in God, peace in Christ. I can have a lot. Maybe I don't have everything I need. It doesn't matter what my situation is because Christ is going to help me have that peace that he offers me. So if you want to receive that peace this morning, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.